I didn't realize that. I guess there's probably magnets in everything, but. Basically, yeah. Anyways, are we about ready to get this one going? Let's do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 4.30 in the morning. Thank you for tuning in. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. What episode is this? Uh, I've got episode 14 down. 14, yep. Two, two touchdowns worth of episodes. <laughs> and both extra points made. Yes. I don't know how we got to 14. I didn't, I'm didn't. i happy that we made it. Everyone seems to get be getting better, except for the most recent one, which kind of sucked. See, I didn't think it sucked. It, it, was, I mean, it wasn't our best It run. was in the bottom tier, probably. Mm, but it was good. I, I like the Judge Judy thing. That was my favorite bit. Judge Judy. <laughs> so we always get started with some news stories. Ben, do you have anything today? Yeah. So I found this news story, and I absolutely love looking at UK shit because okay. the craziest shit happens in the UK, and I don't know why. Sure. And it, 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 it's fun, but I feel like this headline is missing some stuff. We do have listeners in the UK, by the way. So really awesome. We do. Thank you, everybody in the UK. Thank you for giving us these uh, funny news stories. Yes. So this is uh, uh, Metro UK here. Train saved from disaster by giant whale after crashing through barrier at end of a track. Yep. Okay. I can definitely see it. It's missing some stuff. You know, how, how, how's a whale? Well, if it's, at, if it's at the end of a track, it's got to be at the end of a track somewhere. It could be a port city, I would assume. And if the barrier is, if the barrier was missing or it crashed to the barrier <laughs> it's literally a whale like statue okay ben's holding up a picture and he's gonna have to send that to me so i can get that on the uh, yeah twitter. We, can, we can put this up on the twitter a train driver's life was saved by a giant whale tail after his train crashed through the barriers at the end of the track you know how you see in the movies how the train like the superhero movies yes and yes. this is literally what it looks like the train is literally hanging off the edge of this track yeah like in spider-man yeah but there's a whale statue holding it up oh it was a statue it wasn't an actual whale? No, it's not an actual whale. Oh, see, I'm looking at this. I'm like, there's no way that that's a real thing. Yeah, it's not. Okay, so it's a statue. It's like a, it's statue. a statue. Okay. Yeah, it's it's actually coming out of the water. They have it. It's, it's kind of cool. I think that's by design. Yeah, you know, but you can see where the track ends. Yeah. So the statue of a whale saved a train. Now, yep. you got to think that there's got to be some sort of precaution in place to prevent that type of thing from happening in the first place. Yeah, luckily, like, I don't think there was anybody on the train. No one else on the train, and the driver was able to escape safely by himself. So nobody got hurt, which is good. Yes. But I found that really crazy. That was crazy. I thought I was watching um, The Incredibles. With, uh... The Incredibles. The, Mr. The, Incredible, yeah. Mrs. Incredible. Yeah, I remember when the train, the train scene? No. What am I thinking of? Wasn't there I'm a thinking of Spider-Man 2. I'm thinking of Spider-Man 2. Where he, he's got the spider webs, mm -hmm. and he's like doing that thing. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. All right. The Incredibles was an RV. Yes. Anyways, any other news stories for you today? No, go on ahead. I've got a couple. The first one, uh, I don't even know where I got this one from, but this, is, this says that FM radio signals have been detected coming from one of the moons of Jupiter. FM radio signals. Unfortunately, it was a country music channel. <laughs> That's insane. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, let's get let's dive more into this. I think the moon. I didn't write it down. But I think the moon was Euripides, which has also been the name of a playwright that we talked about on the show earlier that I talked about. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, they got radio signals coming from Jupiter. Now, there's a lot of chemical compositions that can like explode and emit radio waves. Yeah. They think that that's what's going on. I don't think it's necessarily a alien. Like playing country music yeah. on Jupiter? Yeah. I mean, well, you never know. Exactly. And then uh, I think I got that one from ing.com, which is that internet gaming, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a shitty website. But yeah. I don't know. I like I like to hear things like that. I like that we're able to pick up signals from other worlds. 
Right. I think we forget about the fact that there are so many moons in our solar system, like the moons of Jupiter and the moons of Saturn. Right. That all could possibly sustain life. I mean, it's insane. I mean, they say that there's more galaxies out there than grains of sand on the Earth. Yeah. Which is absolutely mind boggling. That's incomprehensible. Yes. And you know, you look up in the sky, you see stars. People just see them as stars. Yep. But that's all I see. There are other galaxies. Yep. Because stars are what our sun is. Yep. A lot of people don't really. And most of the stars that we see are just in our galaxy. Galaxy, yeah. And we can only see a sliver of what our galaxy actually is. It's absolutely incredible. Yes, it definitely is. So uh, radio waves coming from one of the moons of Jupiter. They don't think it's aliens, but let's face it. It's probably, probably aliens. Probably is. Probably uh, is. My second news story today. Did you know that there's still somebody in the U.S. living in an iron lung? Are you serious? Think about that for a second. Are you familiar with what an iron yes. lung is? Yes. Paul Alexander, who is 74, lives in Texas, has been in an iron lung since he's been a six-year-old. Are you kidding me? You know, they thought he was going to die as a kid because he got polio. That's the iron lung disease, yep. polio. Yep. Um, they thought he was going to die. They put him in one just to help him breathe, basically. Explain to our listeners what an iron lung like kind of looks like. An like, iron it, it lung. Looks insane. And the, the best example I can think of is in the movie The Big Lebowski. They visit the house of one of uh, some some guy, basically, who lives in an iron lung. And you see him in the background. <laughs> and he, he was a he's a TV writer. And when they walk in, they're like, "Hey, you know, does he still write?" And he's, he's sitting there in the iron, laying there in the iron lung. And then his wife is just like, "Oh no, he has health problems." <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's basically a long cylinder that you lay in, kind of like a probably like a like a coffin, basically, except it's a full metal cylinder, and your head sticks out. Yeah, that's pretty much all that's going on. And right, it, it pumps your chest basically. Yeah. And it keeps you breathing. Now, in the case of Paul Alexander, as a kid, he was put in it, and they didn't think he was going to live, and he just kept on beating the odds, basically. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it got to the point where he was able to get enough health that he was able to leave the iron lung for periods of time. He was pretty much completely paralyzed, so he couldn't use his arms or his legs. He had very hard, very hard time breathing, but he was able to kind of get out of the iron lung and breathe enough to get out. I was going to say, like, to since the age of six, to be in something like that, I mean, I would, I'd probably lose my mind. Yeah, uh, luckily so, for him, he, he was, was able. Yeah, he was able to get out. He was able to get out. Um, he actually went to law school and became a like a like a lawyer. No shit. And uh, he always had to have his iron lung near him. He had to go back into it. Like he had it in his office. Like he'd go to work. No, these things are pretty big. How do you transport? Yeah, this I don't thing know how everywhere? that happens. He probably had to have had multiple iron lungs. He would think he had to have. But he had, he's still alive. I mean, he's in it a hundred percent these days. He can't get out. So he lives basically. He has a a mouth apparatus that he uses to to type on the computer and to paint and to do a bunch of stuff poor guy yeah i mean he was able to make something out of it he said that he always wanted to do something with his life and the only thing he had it to sounds do was, like he did was mental stuff so he became a lawyer i thought it was a very impressive story but he's probably the last iron lung user in the united states That's I, I can't believe that those things are still like i mean yeah i think i think pat wins the uh, new story today yeah i mean <laughs> This one's a little bit old. This was from September, but it don't matter. Uh, I remember in the office, uh, they were talking about disabilities. The one episode and the one old guy Creed was like, "As a teenager, I was in an iron lung," and they're just like, "How old are you?" So uh, I thought that funny. was funny. That's funny. Anyways, uh, what's our main topic today, buddy? Well, uh, Pat texted me earlier this week, and we decided to kind of go with folk tales or like folklore. And we're know? gonna, yeah, we're gonna talk about folklore. We're gonna brand this discussion as a late night deep dive. Late night deep dive, and uh, this is kind of like this is kind of along the lines of our earlier episode, the Urban Legends one, mm-hmm. where we kind of just take a take a broad topic, we research a little bit, talk about a few things, and then see where the conversation goes. Right. So this is gonna be a late night deep dive about folklore. Right. All right. So uh, Ben, do you have anything you want to start us off with today? Yeah. So first of all, I think we should explain kind of like what a folk tale is. Exactly. And from what I've seen, 
the majority of them are all not real. I mean, most of it is like most of it is word of mouth through the generations sure. of stories, sure. myths, or representations of what might have happened. You know, and uh, we all know about you know iconic folk tales, you know, American folk tales. Sure, you know, you got like Paul Bunyan, Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Appleseed. And I'm gonna bring Johnny Appleseed up. Okay, interesting. And uh, yeah, but there's there's one here that I've never heard of. And there's dude, when I was looking up folk tales, there's like millions. There's so many. There's so many. Every culture has a whole bunch of them. Like, I have some books on Native American folk tales. Yeah. I haven't even really gotten into them yet. There's just so much. Well, this folk tale is an Indian one. Okay. Have you ever... It's called The Bloody Knife. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't heard of this one. I'm curious. This is from the Mi'kmaq tribe. I hope I'm saying that right. M-I-C-M-A-C. Mi'kmaq. Okay. Is that, is that correct? That sounds about right. If I'm wrong, somebody correct me on Twitter or whatever. Okay. At 30 in the... Yep. But, uh... So, this Mi'kmaq tribe... They're kind of from like the Nova Scotia, Eastern Canada, kind of like main area. Okay. And some of them are still around today, actually. Okay. But this folktale, it's pretty good. I'm going to read it to you. It's a couple paragraphs, but I've never heard this one. Okay. Let's hear it. So many and many a year ago, two Mi'kmaq warriors from rival villages got into a terrible argument. Harsh words were exchanged when knives were pulled. The warriors battled back and forth on the banks of the small creek. They fought with ferocity of grizzlies, tearing each other with their knives, ripping at each other's clothes and hair. Suddenly, one of the warriors slipped into the muddy bank and fell into the waters of the creek. His bloody knife slipped from his hand and sank down to the bottom, landing upon the rock beyond its reach. And so, what he was trying to do after this was he trying to reach the knife. Okay. But the knife, and this creek wasn't that deep. Sure. And he kept trying to reach for it, but the knife kept inching away from him. Okay. And he was not able to get it. Okay. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. So, the warrior strained his pain-wracked body towards the knife, and his blood filled the waters of the creek, but it was just beyond his fingertips. He thrashed and clawed clawed towards the knife, desperate to reach it before his rival killed him. But no matter how many times he stretched, reached, always slipped out of reach. On the bank above, the victorious Mi'kmaq warrior saw his rival sink into the bloodstained waters and lay still. The knife was just a hair beyond his fingertips. He did not rise again. The fallen man's people found him a few hours later, tenderly rescued his body from the rippling waters of the creek. But when they tried to retrieve his bloody knife from the rock beneath him, it always slipped beyond their reach, though the creek was not that deep. Though the creek was was not not that that deep. deep. (laughs) Yeah. I gotta say, man, that's interesting. Many, many, many years has passed since the bloody day at the creek, and still the bloodstained knife lies beneath the rippling waters of the creek. Whenever anyone tries to reach it, the knife slips out of reach. It is like trying to touch something at the bottom of the sea, although the creek itself is not deep. Even the rushing waters of the spring season do not move the mysterious knife or wash away the blood staining its blade. Mm. And for this reason, the creek is called Woken, meaning knife, by the Mi'kmaq people, and the white men call it the bloody creek okay so that is the folk tale of this that's interesting now i don't know whether this is true or not i i have not really been able to figure out whether that to story figure is out true. If, if i i don't it's think it's something you can investigate today i i don't think it's true because i mean i don't the knife might be there i don't know yeah it's pretty old folk tale though and that's what i found with a lot of the uh native american folk tales that i was studying and i i have a, a couple books on them so i've been flipping through that book a little bit mm-hmm. is a lot of them are kind of like origin stories for a location yes so i wonder if it's more of an origin story for that location as opposed to a actual historical story that's what i'm thinking probably Probably. Yeah. As the as the majority of them are like and, that. And the other thing, especially with pre-colonial uh, Native Americans, is there's not a lot of writing. There wasn't really writing; wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. So all the history 
is mostly oral tradition as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of, I mean, basically, folklore is mostly oral tradition. Oral history, oral tradition. I mean, there's really no concrete authors of folk tales. They're just, yes. they're just written down by shit that was passed down. Exactly. And that's just one thing that I kind of was thinking about, too, is like a, a folk tale is probably, it's farther back than an urban legend, but not really myth. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the bridge between the two, because you can't really say that mythology and urban legends are the same thing. Right. You can kind of compare folklore and urban legends, and then you can also compare folklore to mythology. Definitely. it's a good point. So that, that was a very interesting story. Uh, do you have any more? I have a couple, but you, you, you can go with yours. Okay. I did. I went from a, for a little bit different angle. I've got three I want to talk about. Go ahead. The first one I'm going to talk about is called Spring Heel Jack. Spring Heel Jack. And I don't know if you've heard of this one. This is, it, it was originated in the United Kingdom and Great Britain in London. The original tale dates back to the early 1800s. It was first really talked about in 1837, but sightings date back earlier than that to like 1807 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in, this was, would have been, I don't know if this is considered Victorian London, but industrial age London, where the city was cramped and crowded and dirty and smoggy. Perfect setting for all sorts of weird, crazy, creepy tales. Mm-hmm. So Spring Hill Jack was basically like an assailant. He would jump up in the middle of the night on somebody who was walking down the street, and his biggest thing was he could jump really high. Mm-hmm. He would dress in like some weird like cape-like, kind of like a Batman-type costume, basically. He had claws that would scratch at people. He'd like rip the clothes off of people, scratch them, attack them, types of things. He had very red eyes. And he breathed, he breathed, breathed, is that the word? Breathed. Breathed. Yes. He breathed blue fire. Hmm. And basically he would attack, he'd make himself seen, and then he'd leap over a wall out of sight. Superhuman leaping abilities. Now, are there eyewitness accounts of this guy? Many, many, many okay, throughout cool. London. Cool, that's cool. Um, this got to the point where it was like part, the mayor was talking about it. The newspapers were picking it up. Uh, when the first story published, a whole bunch more came back, came out, and they were like, you know, we thought everybody would think that we're crazy talking about this thing that we thought we saw. You know, this guy jumping over this thing, scratching at us, the blue fire. The story is always very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, as to what it was, nobody was ever really able to come up with an explanation. Uh, nobody was ever caught as the pranks are pulling off. There are a few people that they thought might have been like a prankster type, like some rich lords in the area that had the money that were just kind of drunks. They like to do stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But there's never anything concrete. And the legends have stretched, the sightings have stretched into today. No shit. Into today. You know, I feel like I've seen some things on YouTube about a creature like this. I just didn't know that's what it was called. And it's funny because I first found out about Spring-Heeled Jack was a character in one of the video games I played called Oblivion, which is the Elder Scrolls series. I played that. You had to recover the boots of Spring-Heeled Jack was a quest. Now, Jack was spelled J-A-K instead of J-A-C-K. Mm-hmm. But I never, I never knew that that was like an actual thing, yeah. folklore. And it's kind of the, it's kind of towards the urban legend side of folklore, yeah, because it's only a couple hundred years old and it's still being seen today. Now, what was really interesting to me, and I didn't know about this, was it was in London for several decades where this was being regularly seen. Then he kind of faded away, and then he was seen later in the British countryside all across the UK. Sightings of him in the fields jumping. It was mostly the jumping that gave him away. It was he was able to jump incredibly high, and he'd either attack livestock or people or whatever. It was never, and I don't think there were ever any murders attributed to him, but always like violent acts. It's almost kind of like a chupacabra. Kind of. Now, this is where it gets really weird. Killing the livestock and shit. He kind of disappeared off the radar in Britain for a while. 
Then in Kentucky, right around the late 1800s, a similar thing started getting seen in Kentucky. A similar creature, kind of like this. Jumping up and down. The, it was always a leaping ability. Terrorizing areas, terrorizing towns. And then it was started to see, be seen in the earlier early 20th century in uh, New England, in like Massachusetts area. Mm-hmm. And then it was seen into the 80s. There was a football coach that was out on the field one day that saw this guy on the field just jumping. He was jumping 30, 40 yards at a time. No shit. And he was like, what the hell was this? This guy just covered the entire field in three leaps <laughs> and they're like coach that was spring jack they said that something like so that somebody knew what it was yeah that's funny <laughs> anyways i found that one really interesting and that's a good one apparently I like that. sightings are still going on to today well i want to see this and it's interesting because there's, there's enough of these reports that you have to maybe it's like maybe it's somebody just carrying on the, the name somebody you know, carrying on the tradition yeah and that that happens too with a lot of these interesting characters there's always somebody carrying on the tradition yeah there, but, there could be multiple out there at this point. But how would somebody come up with this leaping ability in the first place? I mean, maybe they have actual springs in their shoes. They could, or maybe they just train Maybe jump. Maybe this guy is the precursor to our jetpack guy. You ever consider that? It could be the jetpack guy. It could be the same exact guy. <laughs> Anyways, if you guys have anything to say about Spring Hill Jack, please tweet us at 30 in the with any uh, stories, any comments, any questions you might have about Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> Anyways, Ben, what else you got for our folklore discussion today? So, um, before I kind of get into Johnny Appleseed, I, I kind of found these uh, these cool Ohio stories. I, okay. I, I, I don't know if these are folk tales or not. I, right. don't, I don't know if you could classify this as folk tales. Well, let's hear them. Let's see but have you, you ever heard of the history of Utopia, Ohio? I feel like I have. This is pretty cool. So there's there was a small, is unincorporated town, and it was like a social commune. Okay. And it was established uh, in America in the mid 19th century. And Utopia was founded in 1844 by Charles Fourier, a Frenchman who believed that the world was about to enter a 35,000 year period of peace. 35,000 years. Yes, and he was quite wrong. Yeah. About that. While the Utopian society idea of the town failed, obviously a spiritual group still held like secret meetings and services in the town's underground chapel. And today along the banks of the Ohio River in Claremont County, you'll find what some consider to be that ghost town. And like it's still there today. And the town is still home to residents. Like Really? Yeah. Like you can go there. That is super cool. I've never heard of this place I until be- I until I was I was kinda like, man, you know, um because on the last Urban Legend episode we did, we kind of, I don't know, do we talk about Ohio Urban Legends off? No, I off had a thing? couple that I was thinking about talking about, but none of them really fit the, th- the flow of the show. So so I was kind of like, eh, I'll, I'll, I'll look up, see what like Ohio has like historically in folk tales. That one's interesting. That, that, yeah. uh, that reminded me, because I think I've stumbled across that one before. Yeah, that's a good one. Might be taking a taking a little bit of a road trip here this week. Yeah, dude, I I want to go. I mean, there, dude, there's there's a lot of shit in Ohio that's really interesting. Definitely. I mean, there's there Ohio's got a, a very deep and diverse history. I mean, oh yeah, even like Serpent Mound down down south. Right. That one's interesting. And I I found this other one too because it kind of relates to our lightning strike. Uh oh. Uh, story. Let's hear it. Have you ever heard of the the Witch's Tower here in Ohio? Again, I feel like I may have, but... The Witch's Tower is in a forest near Dayton, or it's even been called Frankenstein's Tower. Ooh. Yeah. 
but the true story behind it, um, it's 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 changed a lot over time. What really happened at this tower and shit. Yeah. But something else happened quite recently at the tower. I'll get into that in a second. But uh, more commonly known as the Lookout Tower in Hills or Dales Metro Park. Now I'm assuming that's what it's called. This castle-like structure in Kettering in Kettering um, has been the subject of numerous urban legends throughout the years. And while it's certainly not a witch's tower, it does have some deadly history. The real story involves a tragic death of Peggy Harmison. In May of 1967, a 16-year-old Peggy and her boyfriend sought shelter in the tower during a storm, and lightning struck the tower and it killed them both in the tower. Oh, that's terrible. And they were badly burned, which is terrible. That's terrible, yeah. I mean, but I want to do some more research on this tower because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of crazy shit and a lot of crazy uh, stories behind this tower. Yeah, it's, it's probably not called a witch's tower for for no reason. And you never know. You never know how much of a, of a legend or a folklore might get downplayed, right, by the local community in hopes that safety, like the kids, are safe and they don't go exploring. Mm-hmm. Because if there's an old person out there saying that, hey, this place is actually haunted, you know what's going to attract. Right. Anybody who's remotely interested in that. No doubt. And I always wondered if a lot of this, because we've done a lot of different research, and there's a lot of truth to a lot of these legends that we discuss. Even if they're not necessarily true, there's truth in them. Mm-hmm. I always wondered if the the fact that they get downplayed so heavily is more of a safety thing as opposed to a contradictory to the truth. Right. If it's more about keeping the kids safe and having them not explore the creepy tower. Right. That they're going to either get struck by lightning in or fall off of or whatever. Right. So... Okay, that was a very good one. I'm just wondering why, because if, if this thing is, like, in the forest, how do you just stumble upon this thing? I guess if it's a park. They were probably, but... they were probably first found it when they were in a helicopter counting sheep. Yes. Probably. <laughs> Anyways. I'm surprised the monolith hasn't popped back yeah, up Yeah, we haven't anywhere. had any monolith news this week. Uh, although, the next tale is going to take us to one of the sites of the monolith. We're going to Romania on the next one. Are you ready? Yep. Have you ever heard of the Stregoi? Repeat that. Stregoi. Stregoi? Stig- Stregoi. Uh-uh, no. It's like S-T-R-I-G-O-I. The Stregoi is like the precursor to the vampire. It's basically a folk war in Romania where, and there's a lot of certain criteria that has to happen for somebody to become a Stregoi, but they, it's a dead person that gets buried and then comes back to life, basically. So Rasputin? No, because these people have already <laughs> been buried, and they're right, like buried yeah, yeah. away and whatever. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of simila- similarities between the Stregoi and vampires mm-hmm. and vampires also or originate in romania because that's where transylvania is yeah which is where vlad the impaler impaler lived which is the origin for dracula right so the stregoi is a very interesting one it's not the same exact thing as a vampire but there's enough similarities and it's been talked about for hundreds of years there's been like stregoi hunters who have fought off these beasts basically the old story is always it's always a widow wakes up to find her husband's dead body like in the bedroom and it mm-hmm. looks like he's alive type of a thing. It seems to always be the origin story. There's a whole bunch of different things you got to do to kill it. It's not usually the sake of the heart. It's usually you have to like incinerate the body mm-hmm. to make it actually go away because people have tried a lot of the traditional vampire killing methods and usually the Strigoi comes back. No shit. It comes back the very next day or whatever. Uh, there's some differences. It's not like, it's more almost more of a zombie than a vampire. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It doesn't really sound like a... Yeah, it. but there's, you, there's the, the whole cannibalism thing they're always trying to eat flesh they're always trying mm. to like drink the blood and there's the belief that eventually a stragoi who's like successful in its mission can re-become human basically and as long as they move out of their community they can go live on and live like a new life basically which that's insane is interesting i wonder how many of those are walking around today well here's the thing that that this is what kind of brought me into the story was 
as late as 2004. Oh, my God. A guy by the name of Petra Tora or something like that, Toba, probably Petra Toba, died. He had his nieces and nephews. He died in 2003. In 2004, supposedly, he he woke up and the, the nieces and nephews started seeing him wandering around. So they dug up his body, just beat the shit out of it, did everything they could to destroy it. And when they dug it up, it didn't look like he had decomposed or something. And they it was just ridiculous. It was like a horror movie, basically, what they did to this, this dead body. Mm-hmm. All because that they thought he was the Strigoi. Now, this became a huge problem for Romania because Romania was trying to become like a European Union member. Yeah. And it's like, okay, guys, great, except for you guys got people in the countryside <laughs> digging up bodies because <laughs> they think that they're zombies still. Beating it with still. a bat. Uh, anyways, I thought that was crazy. But it's it show, goes to show how deep that legend is if people t- went to those lengths. Like, you wouldn't ever see anything like that happen over here. Right. There, you, that's not even thought about. Right. I mean, so when they see the body, how does it act? Does it act normal? Does it no. act like a like a does it, it act like a zombie? Mostly like a zombie. Yeah. It's usually That's aggressive. Crazy. It's usually trying to attack somebody. Usually. That's interesting. I feel like I've seen some of them around, honestly, some of the people you see. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um I saw one uh, a couple days ago yeah. at the gas station. Gas so. station, Walmart. I mean, they're everywhere at this point. Definitely. So that's the Stregoy for you. Awesome. Any uh, what else you got? So uh, we're kind of talking about Johnny Appleseed. Okay. And Johnny Appleseed was a real guy. Yes. See, yeah. And I guess the majority of the folklore around him, it's basically all true. All of it. Really? All of it? Just about. Like how he traveled. I don't think he traveled around the all the United States. Sure. Like they claim. But like Northwest around here. Because he was, it was a guy, the real guy's name was um, Johnny Chapman. Yep. I've heard that name before. Yeah. And he was born in Massachusetts and he ended up dying in Illinois. I think that makes sense. That's pretty sure. Right. Yep. So I don't know if he traveled beyond that, like all like all out west, because they say that he walked the entire United States. Sure. I don't think he did that, but I think he walked quite a bit of it. You know, Johnny Appleseed, he, he's cool. I mean, he was a hermit and a wanderer, and uh, he and he was he, he stayed around the Ohio area a lot. This okay. is this is where I found a lot about Johnny Appleseed because it was I was looking up Ohio shit. Okay. You know, and uh, everyone loved him, and he was very had a very unkempt appearance. You know, because he was just basically a dude that just walking around, basically. And he had a sure. bag of apple seeds. Sure. Planting them wherever the hell he went. Walked barefoot all the way around. So he's basically a hobbit. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of sounds like a modern-day Bilbo. Right. And uh, he knew the frontier woods better than anybody. And the Indians really respect him as well. Because okay. he knew he knew the woods just as well as they did. Interesting. If, if, if not better. Wow. Yeah, and when the War of 1812 began, many Indians allied themselves with the British seeking revenge injustices, injustices done by their people and the settlers. Sure. They attacked up and down the Ohio Territory, but they left Johnny Appleseed alone. Really? They did not kill Johnny Appleseed. Well, I wouldn't kill him either. Taking advantage of his position, Johnny Appleseed became the Paul Revere of the Ohio Territory, warning settlers of danger. Really? Okay. And I didn't know that about him, that he kind of got involved with that. Johnny Chapman was basically like Paul Revere. Yeah. Uh, during the, uh, yeah, it's I crazy. Mean, uh, somebody as as obviously your story made him sound like he was very respected. Yeah. He has, a, he has a position to be that type of person. Right. And that's probably where the whole the whole legend came came to be, because probably there are a lot of people telling their kids about Johnny Appleseed, mm-hmm. and it probably that's probably where it all took off from. Right. And uh, on one occasion, Johnny Appleseed learned that a band of Indians had laid a siege on the town of Mansfield, Ohio. And you know you know where that is. Yeah, that's not too far. Yeah, it's not too far. Johnny Appleseed ran 26 miles through the forest to Mount Vernon to obtain help for the settlers. 
settlers. As he ran, he tried to warn other settlers along the path of the Janger by blowing on an old powder horn. Okay. So he's literally running through there. He's blowing his horn. He's letting everybody know about what the hell is about to go down. Kind of like the Battle of Marathon, basically. And he, he reached the town within a day, and the settlers were spared thanks to the bravery Johnny Appleseed. I didn't know any of this shit about Johnny Appleseed. I'm impressed. I didn't know any of this either. If from what I've read, a lot of the accounts of the folklore is true. I don't know if it's all true, but Johnny Appleseed was a real guy, and I don't know, man. It's pretty crazy. That was a good one. That was really good. I like I like Johnny Appleseed now, and I think I'm gonna do a lot more research on Johnny well, Appleseed. Yeah, start eating a lot more apples too. Yeah, we got a everybody, all of our 430 listeners, in honor of Johnny Appleseed. Go out and pick yourself a nice ripe. Everybody, go out and pick a nice, good-looking apple and chomp on that shit. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Anyways, uh, I got one more urban legend I want to get into. Yeah, go ahead. This one originates, this is my only one that originates in North America. Mm-hmm. This originates with the Algonquin tribe, although I hear it's also been uh, ascribed to the Ojibwe tribe a little bit. Algonquins are like Canada, like northeast. Mm-hmm. Ojibwe is kind of like, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is kind of like Canada, but kind of more Midwestern down into the UP. Mm-hmm. So this urban or this this folktale is called the Wendigo. Maybe they knew the Micmac people. They possibly did. Could be. Have you ever heard of the Wendigo before? Mm. Um, it's kind of one. It, I guess it's even a Marvel, like a Marvel villain these days. It's kind of become a very popular one. I didn't realize how popular it was. Basically, in like the dead of winter, if you're like starving out in the middle of the wilderness, mm-hmm. you have to be careful of the Wendigo. It's usually, they think it's either a spirit or it's like a possessed person who's essentially a cannibal and it it devours human flesh. All it cares about is eating human flesh. No shit. There's a lot of different questions as to whether or not it's real. A lot of people even like, a lot of a lot of people that you'll talk to will be like, yeah, you know what? This one might actually be real, which is kind of interesting. Why do they always have to eat flesh? I don't know. What's up with that? But um, I was doing some research on this one, and there have been like multiple trials like up in Canada, especially, where people have like killed other people under the whole Wendigo thing. Because I guess in the tribes, it's, it's important to kill the Wendigos. Mm-hmm. The one guy in the 1800s claimed to have killed 14 of them in his life. Jesus. There's also a thing called Wendigo psychosis where you adopt the mentality of the Wendigo when you're in the frozen tundra and you have no food. It forces you into this like emaciated like hallucination type state like basically like an emaciated animalistic type state where all you care you're not really a human anymore you're just like all you care about is eating right but it's only the flesh of the other humans basically it's like deep starvation slash psychosis slash cannibalism basically so basically how your woman gets when she's super hungry well yeah we'll go with that <laughs> we'll go with that um anyways uh, the Wendigo, the, even like in the like late 1800s, like a guy was out there. He was like kind of like a weird like tracker type guy. Mm-hmm. And he took his family out into the wilderness and he came back and he was the only one that came back. And they were, he was like, oh, my family starved out in the tundra. It was a terrible winter. I'm sorry that I'm the only one that survived. They're yeah, looking he, at him. he didn't starve, did he? They were looking at him and they're <laughs> like, well, you certainly don't look like you've missed a meal. <laughs> and then he, he came clean and he said, yep, I killed my entire family and ate them all. But he blamed Wendigo, the Wendigo psychology, the Wendigo psychosis. He said the Wendigo possessed him and forced him to like eat his entire family. Surprisingly, that didn't stand up in court. I now, think this one, one of these guys was the first person to ever be executed by the Canadian government. Now, I feel like something like this could happen in other areas of the world. So th- this, wherever it's cold, basically. I mean, does this just happen in this area? Supposedly. Northern Canada, mostly. Northern, very north United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I found that 
one really interesting though. Yeah, that's I've a always good wanted. One. To, I always I wanted to write a book about this one time, like like a dual, like a sixteen. It's like, it's a double story. It's one set in modern times, one set in the sixteen hundreds, but the stories connect because they're all going on in the same place and they're both fighting the same Wendigo. It'd be a good movie. Yeah, I think so. It'd be a good book too. Should write that. I'll I'll get right on that. You should. I'm going to. I'll help you out if you need help. Let me know. All right, you can be my. Uh, I'll be the assistant. Yeah. Okay. The assistant. We're cutting that. <laughs> Anyways, if you guys have any comments on the Wendigo, please tweet us at 30 in the. Also, uh, if you guys have any pronunciation corrections. And if we're wrong about any of these, yep. let us know. Because as we've said many times before, we are not the experts. No. We're we just are, doing we are some, definitely not the experts. We're doing some late night deep dives today. Oh, yeah. Anyways, do you have any more comments on folklore? Uh, Not really, Um, but I do have a question for you. Uh-oh. And it, it kind of, I kind of thought about this the other day because I was thinking of the Peter Pan movie, the Peter Pan story. Okay. And I was thinking of Captain Hook, and I was thinking of you know other kind of movies or cartoons with pirates in them. Sure. Why is it a? Why do they have a hook? Why a hook? Because they got, they got their hand cut off. I know, but why do they choose a hook? Like, what does a hook do? Well, if you're climbing over, if you're falling overboard, you can kind of hook. Okay, hook, that, hook that, onto the rope. That might be like the only. I'll bet you it's because of the ropes. I bet you they do a lot of sliding on the ropes. That might be it. I was just kind of thinking. I was like, I'm thinking like my everyday life, or even the times I've been on a boat. I have, I have, I can't find any reason to have a hook. Have you ever gone up to the crow's nest though? No. If you're up in the crow's nest with your telescope out and you see down the enemy vessel, you got to get down quickly. What's the fastest way for the captain to get down? Yeah, but you have no grip. So you're just sliding down. You're sliding down. Man, I don't know. There's gravity. I don't, I don't know if I would have a hook. I might just leave the stub there. I feel like you could do more with just a stub. I'd go with the the King Slayer from Game of Thrones with his metal his metal hand that's what i'd go with yeah i would go with that too do that as a club yeah more than a hook yeah you're probably right about that i mean just think like the only thing i could see a use for a hook is carrying the damn groceries yep that is true think about that think think if you had a good hook you ever see that progressive commercial with Baker Mayfield where he's living at the stadium and he's got to bring all the groceries in? Yeah. He would have done really well with a hook. Just think if he had a hook. Exactly. He could fit every bag on that one hook. Yep. Maybe maybe they do, maybe the captains do a lot of grocery shopping. That's what I was, you know, I was just like, man, I I'll, have to, I'll have to bring that up on the show. Uh, tweet us at 30 in the and give us a opinion on whether a hook is good for when you cut your hand off. And if you guys have any other uh, suggestions in case you lose your hand as to what you'd want your hand replaced with, mm-hmm. go ahead and tweet us. Anyways, I I also have one more question uh-oh, for you. Okay, I, I I feel like I might have I might have asked this before in another episode, but I can't remember. And uh-oh. if I and if I did, we can cut it out. Okay. The most infamous villain in movies. What is it? Like what, what was like your like the most badass villain of any type of movie or anything you've seen? Like what's your favorite villain? What do most you think the, the badass favorite villain. Maybe not favorite, but like evil villain. You ever see the movie No Country for Old Men? Yes. I'm thinking that creepy guy. Weird movie. Yeah. That creepy dude is a weird ass dude. Great. It's a great <laughs> movie. That creepy guy. I can't remember what, the, what his name is. He has, he has a name. Yeah. Probably it was a phenomenal movie with one of the worst endings. Yeah. The ending was not that good. No. But in terms of who I would not want to run into. That guy. I'd rather take my chances with Darth Vader over that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. What do you think? For me, it's Lord Voldemort all day. Oh, God. See? They couldn't say this man's name. They feared just to speak his name whenever this guy wasn't around, okay? He literally split his soul into seven pieces so that he could live, you know, forever. So he could be immortal, basically. And yeah. He, and you have to kill somebody to split your soul. So he literally had to murder seven people, and he murdered a lot more than that. But he murdered seven people and placed his soul in objects. So that, and then, like, literally, you, you walk around, and people are 
scared to say your name? I don't know. I'm not really. That's in- pretty incredible. I'm not really intimidated by a guy with a nose like that. It just doesn't do it. I for mean, me. it looks like a snake. That's the whole point. It doesn't. It just doesn't do it for me. I'm telling you, man, I would not want to run in the Lord Lord Voldemort. Let me tell you. All right, fair enough. Okay, guys, if you guys have a a villain that really creeps the hell out of you that you would not want to run into, that's the most evil out there. Please tweet us at Thirty Inla. I mean, because if you go and stab Lord Voldemort, he doesn't die. Because his soul is somewhere else. Yeah, and I get I get what you're saying, but they somehow pulled it off. Somehow, if you and find all the, it, if you sign all if you find all the objects and, and destroy them, yeah, very yeah, hard to do. Yeah. Anyways, I do have a I do have a real life villain I want to bring up real quick. A, a real life what? Villain. Villain. Go ahead. Okay, I don't know if you've been watching any TV at all lately. Not really. There's a new series on Netflix called The Night Stalker. Have you uh, seen it or heard of it? Or mm. It's brand new. It just came out this week. Yeah. I'm going to get into just not really too many spoilers about it, but a little bit of spoilers. It discusses the L.A. area serial killer called Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. Night Stalker. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yes. He was actually the first serial killer that I like knew about, because I haven't gotten into serial killers until like a couple years ago, really. I've watched some shit on Richard Ramirez, yeah. Yeah, he's very creepy. He was a guy that yeah. break into people's houses and yep. just do all these ridiculous things. Anyways, it's funny that you brought up Peter Pan, <laughs> because Richard Ramirez killed Peter Pan. He should me. Nope, not even a little bit. All right, get into it. So, <laughs> uh, during his reign of terror, he went kind of up and down L- uh, California. He went up to the San Bernardino area. Yeah. And then down into L.A. At one point, he encountered a, a Taiwanese immigrant family. The man was in his 50s. He was a Taiwanese immigrant who basically got out of Taiwan, moved to the United States, got his degree in engineering, was a really accomplished hard worker. Yeah. He's a, he's a great guy, hard worker. Yeah. Uh, smart, accomplished, accomplished a lot in his life. But the poor guy's name was Peter Pan. Oh, my God. <laughs> and unfortunately, Mr. Peter Pan met his Captain Hook. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. In Richard Ramirez. He, yeah, that's rough. And I was sitting there, I was watching that documentary, and I'm like, did they just say that P- Richard Ramirez killed Peter Pan? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, anything else tonight? So, I saved this a long time ago. Did you know that there was a quadrillionaire at one point? Mansa Musa. I don't know if that was his name. <laughs> but, a, so, a U.S. man almost became the world's richest person after PayPal accidentally credited his account $92 quadrillion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think I saw something about that. I remember that. I saved this a long time ago, and I forgot about it. That's hilarious. Could you imagine? The, the amount would have made him the world's first quadrillionaire with a wealth over 1,000 times greater than the planet's entire GDP. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Dude, like, that's so lucky. Like, could you imagine? Like, could you imagine if that happens? I would immediately get that shit, pull that shit out. Yeah, pull as much as you can out. Man. What, what ended up happening? Did there, was there any resolution? I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't. I like. I saved it. I saw it, and I screenshotted it, and I was like, I gotta get more into this, but I never did. I must okay. have forgot about. That's it. That's kind of how I do my research too. So. <laughs> yeah, man. That's that's hilarious. That is crazy. Anyways, you think I want to probably about wraps this one up? Yeah, I think I think this is it, man. Hey, thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Yep, the YouTube channel is gonna be up this week. Awesome. So we're going to have that up. Uh, please tweet us. Please reach out on YouTube once it's up. We're up to 499 listens. Dude, this is fantastic. Yeah, the last episode kind of fell flat. We haven't had a lot of hits on that one yet. But all, all the other ones are picking up steam. So Right. Uh, please keep listening. We, we appreciate your fandom. Please keep tweeting at us. We're getting tweets mostly from my mother. It's all right. But um. <laughs> anyways, uh, we're probably going to sign off. So uh, anything else? I think I'm all set. All right. Peace out, guys. Peace out, guys. Thank you. I don't think people understand our sense of humor. Some people don't. And I was kind of worried about that. Yeah. Because uh, we're, it's like, 
we're we're very sarcastic sometimes, but we, but you can't tell. But we're very dry. And yes, yes. It's like usually if I blurt out the, the Twitter handle, usually that means that we were talking about something ridiculous and we were kind of joking. Yes. Uh, I, at least in my opinion. Now, that's not always the case, but a lot of the times. Like I was getting texts about the whole crustacean discussion a couple yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> they were like, are you guys like the biggest morons ever? And I'm like, <laughs> even I think my mother was tweeting at us uh, about that one. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought it was a funny discussion, apparently. I thought it was funny, too. And I know too. There, there's a lot of people out there that are complete know-it-alls. I didn't know what the hell a crustacean was. Yeah, I know. But there are know-it-alls out there that <laughs> listen to things and just like to fact-check. Yeah. And they like to act like they're smarter than whoever's talking, even though they're not actually out there creating their own show. Right. They just want to criticize what's going on. Criticize, criticize, criticize. We we are not going to be popular with that demographic of people. So that, That's all right. That's all right. We don't really need them. I mean, you can't you can't make everybody happy. Exactly. You know. So uh, back to our the whole uh, the iron lung discussion. I feel like I need an iron lung after I talk because <laughs> I get out of breath really quickly. Yeah. I feel like we got to get one of these like down in your basement. Yeah, I think we can make that happen. So that when I wonder uh, how expensive they are nowadays. You know, they can't find parts for them, like. Because they're not making them anymore. So right. the, the iron lung guy, he doesn't have any replacement parts for his iron lung. Maybe, um, maybe like they have some in like a museum somewhere. Yeah. I'll have to call up the Smithsonian or somebody. I bet $100 they I feel like the that Smithsonian would help. Like, I'll do my segment. I'll hop in the iron lung real quick. I'll let you do your thing. Right. Give me back up to speed. Right. 